Okay, thank you very much. So, just to give you a very quick uh, overview of what we will be doing during this semester, uh, and then I'll start with some introductions, and hopefully we'll get uh, today to, uh, um, to, to the first text that we will study from close uh, together, the first Talmudic lecture we will study. So, it's very simple. Um, uh, we will try to study uh, three, three texts. Hi. Maybe you can uh, tell us or t- tell us your yeah. name, John. I John. John Felton. I, I teach here. Okay. <laughs> so you have a background in Talmud, I guess. Not Levinas, but I read some. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Can you give me the book? I feel I feel more safe with books around me. So. Important. So um, we study three texts. One text is called uh, "Temptation of Temptations." It's a very uh, important Talmudic lecture on um, Tractat Shabbat 88. Uh, it's dealing with the Jewish revelation. This will be the first text we will study. Um, the second uh, text we will study is a text called uh, "The Translation of Scriptures." Uh, and it's a reading of Masechet Megillah Tractat. I will go in more in depth um, uh, into the details when we get there. And it's about the question of, um, of translation, the translation of the Bible. Um, and the third text we will study is um, called, Levinas called it um, Messianic Texts. And it's from uh, Masechet uh, Sanhedrin, Tractat Sanhedrin. Uh, at the end of Sanhedrin, there is a chapter called Chelek, and there there is a very interesting meditation on Messianism. And this will be the last text we will study um, together. Um, the the logic of this choice, I don't want to go into it for now, and I hope during our studying, um, this, it will be made. It will become clear what what links those three those three texts. There is a general idea beyond it, and I, uh, but I don't want to to state it um, um, for now. It will become clear. So I want to start with on a, a more personal note and tell you um, how I came to Levinas, why uh, Levinas is so important for me, and I hope that I will be able to um, share with you um, the importance of, of Levinas. I'll start with an, anecdote, with an anecdote, it's a personal story, and, uh, and this is, uh, it will help me to, to situate Levinas in, in my personal uh, biography. When I studied in Yeshiva, in, uh, in Israel, it was uh, in the beginning of the 90s, um, um, I had a lot of, um, let's say, philosophical questions or theological questions um, that um, I didn't, for, for which I didn't find answers in the more traditional uh, context, such as uh, the traditional yeshivot. Uh, I grew up in Antwerp, I told you, in the 80s. Um, my grandparents are um, uh, survivors of the, of the Holocaust. And uh, as you know, Europe 
the post-war Europe is, uh, for Jews is, is a place where the memory of the Holocaust is very present. Uh, I remember uh, um, sitting on the balcony by my grandmother and, and she was showing me the, the streets and she, she was telling me, you know, in 42 Nazis were parading here and it was completely uh, uh, incredible. Because we were living in this very place where the most horrible thing happened to uh, to, to, to Jews. So, um, of course, this raised a lot of theological questions. For I grew up in an Orthodox context, and as, uh, for a lot of us, uh, let's say the, the classical question of evil, because it's not a new question, but the classical question of of, of the possibility of thinking of a world uh, created by God, um, supervised by God, to think that God is caring for us, and um, having this, you know, to deal, to cope with the horror of, of, the, of the Holocaust, that creates, of course, uh, a terrible theological question that, is very, that was very present for, for me, uh, at the time. And as a modern uh, Jew, as a young modern Jew, of course, there were all the other questions who, which Western civilization, uh, in a way, uh, prepared us to, to, to ask. The, the, the 20th century, the century of desacralization, the century of atheism, the century of, 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 of uh, 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 secularism, you know, the, the, the fact that religion lost of its power. Uh, all those were very burning questions. And when I got to Yeshiva, I didn't, found, I didn't find uh, the answers to those questions. I had very um, intensive discussions with my um, cousin, Shaul, at the time, and he gave me two books. He gave me two books. One was uh, a book by Benedict Spinoza. I don't, I don't know how you call it. In yeah, that's right. Benedictus, you say? You just say Spinoza. Benedict, okay. He has a lot of first names. Baruch Spinoza, Spinoza, a famous book, Political Theological Tractat, um, written in 1765, um, so it's really at the beginning of modernity. Spinoza, in his book, formulates the first modern radical critique of Judaism. I won't get more into details, but that's the first book my cousin gave me. And he said, that's the poison. And now, here is the antidote, here is the, um, here is the, the cure. And he gave me this book, Difficult Freedom. Difficult Freedom is a book by Divinas, which resembles his um, essays on Judaism. A lot of short texts on, uh, on Judaism. And he says, this is Spinoza is the most modern critique of Judaism. If you study this text, you will understand the biggest philosophical challenges that Judaism has to face in modernity. But here is the cure, Levinas is the cure, and uh, there is a solution for it. I opened both Spinoza and both Levinas and didn't understand anything, of course, because those are very difficult philosophical texts. And but I felt that 
this language, something in, this, in those texts was extremely suggestive. And I think this is one of the very strange and, and, and very strong uh, experiences one has when opening those books, um, mainly Levinas. We will see together later on, but a lot of times you open texts of Levinas if you are not um, trained in philosophy, if you have no background, and there is, at least that was my experience, there is a feeling that something is said here which is essential, but it's difficult to grasp, it's difficult to understand what is said. And so I understood that I had to study philosophy in order to, to, to read Levinas. That's how I quitted Yeshiva without stopping to study Talmud. But I went to university and uh, basically I did my PhD in order to understand Levinas and I hope after more than 10 years I have uh, some understanding for it. It's just a way to, of presenting myself and saying to you um, how much Levinas for me is important and how actually I came to philosophy through Levinas. I was not a student in philosophy who was interested in a lot of things and then found Levinas. I just wanted to understand Levinas and that's why I studied philosophy. Of course, uh, things changed in the course of time and I um, found a very rich continent in philosophy and uh, it was not merely instrumental at, uh, uh, after uh, um, a moment but still this was my um, way to philosophy or my way from Levinas to philosophy and back to, to Levinas. So again I hope I will be able to share a little bit of this enthusiasm, of my enthusiasm during uh, this uh, semester. So, first, who was Levinas? I'll start with a little biographical introduction. I hope it will not take too long, but this uh, biographical introduction will already help us to situate Levinas, to situate him both historically and also to understand what he did and um, eventually um, permit us to enter bless you, into the, our subject. Um, I invite you to um, stop me whenever you want, if there are questions, if you want to add some things, if you uh, want me to elaborate more on things, really feel free to engage. Um, for me, it's a kind of shared study, of course, uh, I will teach, but uh, I see this class as a kind of, uh, I hope, as a little uh, bit midrash. So, as the rules of Bit midrash are, as you know, very there are no rules in Bermudas. So uh, I, I really invite you to just interrupt me whenever you feel uh, the need. And as my teacher said, there are, ne there are no, not such things as um, bad questions. There are only bad answers. So you are on the safe side. Mm -hmm. I'm on the more perilous side. So um, Levinas was born in 1906 in Kovno, in Lithuania, 100 kilometers from uh, from Vilna um, to a traditional observant Jewish family uh, very learned uh, Levinas knew Hebrew from his younger uh, years although his mother tongue was Russian he studied mainly the Bible in his young years in the appropriate uh, 
educational context, uh, but also the big Russian literature such as uh, Tolstoy, Pushkin, uh, Lermontov, Dostoevsky. So both Russian culture and um, and Jewish culture, but uh, in, in, in a very um, instinctive way. Levinas always says that, says that for him, his um, memory of the memory of his childhood, his childhood was that um, Judaism was a very natural thing. He lived his Judaism in a very natural way. It was nothing very spectacular. There was no, uh, um, uh, you say, there was no. Uh, um, separation between uh, the, the secular and the religious. The, the, the being a man of culture was not antithetic of to being an observant Jew uh, and also a learned Jew. In 1923, when he was 17 years old, um, Levinas goes to uh, to study um, in France in the Strasbourg University. Strasbourg is on, on the border, it's in Alsace, in France, it's in the, on the border with uh, Germany. And, sorry? No. Switzerland, it's on the, it's no, both Switzerland, sorry? Yes, it's in Alsace, Lorraine. Yes, it's, oh, an, it's in Alsace, okay. it's oh, in Alsace, Lorraine, oh, yes. Oh. Strasbourg is in is the capital of Alsace, oh. and it's really on the, on the frontier with Germany and uh, Switzerland. So, um, so Ignace goes to study at, at, at Strasbourg University, where he speci specialized in, uh, in philosophical discipline. We will talk about this a little bit the, the more we get into our subject, called phenomenology. It's a very strange word. Uh, would you want me to study it? It's uh, like from the, from the term phenomena, a phenomenon, something that you see, something that you can uh, uh, have in front of you, something which is present in front of a phenomenon. And uh, the suffix uh, logy, like biology, like uh, physiology, so it's the science of phenomena. That's the, and this, is a, this was a very uh, new current in 20th century philosophy. A lot of major uh, 20th century philosophers were phenomenologists. Um, for instance, Heidegger, a very, a very known uh, philosopher, uh, or uh, Sartre. You, you, you call him Sartre, I call him Sartre. <laughs> Sartre. Sartre was actually a phenomenologist. Uh, and again, a, a, a lot of existential philosophers, Sartre is an existential philosopher, Heidegger is a thing, were phenomenologists. Well, Levinas too was a phenomenologist. He specialized in phenomenology and uh, eventually he, he became um, the figure who introduced phenomenology in France. For instance, Sartre uh, testified in his in his books, that he came to phenomenology through the books of Levinas. Before Levinas was known as a philosopher, uh, on his own sake, before he was known as a Jewish philosopher, he just wrote books, uh, introductory books, if you want, in phenomenology. He translated from German, because the, those texts are German, the, the main inventor of this current is called Husserl, 
and he's a German, so Levinas translated uh, uh, those texts into French, and so before becoming who he became, Levinas, the philosopher, Levinas was known by a lot of uh, French philosophers as this Levinas who wrote this book on Husserl, who translated this lecture of Husserl. This was his first, um, um, how do you say, um, achievement in the philosophical world. Excuse me? He translated, uh, for instance, a book by Husserl, the inventor of phenomenology, from German to French. Okay. To French. Okay. Uh, it's called Med um, Cartesian Meditations. But again, that's, that, uh, we won't get too much uh, into, into it. Um, so th that's what he did um, until, of course, 1933, 1938, and eventually 1940, the, uh, um, the beginning of the Second World War, with all that uh, this entails. Luckily, Levinas um, was um, a French officer, was an officer in the French army, and uh, very, very at the, at the very beginning of the war, he, of the war, he was um, made captive by the Germans. But as an officer, as a soldier, uh, it's very strange how how Germans uh, had their own, uh, you know, calculations. But as a French officer, in, as an officer in the French army, uh, Levinas was just incarcerated in a prisoners of war camp, and that's how he was. Uh, how he, how he rescue, was rescued from annihilation, from uh, being deported to a concentration camp, and he he, he spent uh, the whole five years of the war in this um, camp of uh, prisoners of war camp, uh, where of course they lived in very difficult conditions, but. Um, today we have the note, Levinas notebooks, and uh, some of uh, we know a lot of about what he did during those years. And uh, it seems as if they had books, and Levinas, in fact, during those five years, continued to uh, study, to write philosophy, and uh, to, to to build his, his system. Of course, of course, in very difficult conditions. Uh, and uh, not only physical, but also knowing that his wife and his daughter were uh, out there um, trying to uh, escape the, the, the Nazis, which they which, in which they succeed, of course. Uh, but Levinas uh, survived um, mainly. Uh, Thanks to his, uh, to, his to, to him being a, a French officer. Levinas says, uh, I, maybe I'll give you first. This is uh, you can. Um, this is a um, very short text in in an article called Signature, where Levinas gives a kind of inventory of his of, of his life. The first part we already saw. I, I will let's read the, 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 this very brief um, inventory, and then it's interesting only for the last um, sentence. Um, so here is how it goes: The Hebrew Bible from the childhood years in Lithuania. 
Pushkin and Tolstoy, the Russian Revolution of 1917, experienced at 11 years of age in the Ukraine. From 1933 on, the, the University of Strasbourg, where Charles Blondel, Alva, Pradines, Carteron, and later Leroux were teaching. All those names are very known names in the, the French uh, intellectual circles. Friendship with Maurice Blanchot, the famous author, and through the teachers who were adolescents at the time of the Dreyfus Affair, a vision, dazzling for newcomer of a people who equal humanity, he's speaking here of the French people, people who equal humanity and of a nation to which one can attach oneself by spirit and heart as much as by roots. And again, he's speaking about the French uh, people um, and uh, friends. Livinas was very attached to French culture. He was very attached to what France gave to uh, Europe in terms of um, spiritual achievements. A stay in 28-29 in Freiburg and an apprenticeship in phenomenology, here you have the word, began a year earlier with Jean Herring. The Sorbonne, Léon Bonchevic, the philosophical avant-garde at the Saturday Soirées of Gabriel Marcel. Now we are at the other side of the world. Um, just um, uh, be aware that Livnes doesn't mention here the, the war years. He will mention it later, but he's just skipping now from the pre-war period to the post-war period. The intellectual and anti-intellectualist refinement of Jean Val and his generous friendship gained after a long captivity in Germany. Regular conferences since 1947 at the Collège Philosophique, which Jean Val founded and inspired. Director of the 100-year-old École Normale Israélite Orientale, Levinas was, a direct, was a, the principal of a school most of his years. Train, training teachers of French for the schools of the Alliance Israelite Universelle du Bassin Méditerranéen. Daily communication with Henri Nerson. Frequent visits to Monsieur Fouchani. I will um, come back to those to those figures in a moment. Just I want to read the old inventory. The prestigious and merciless teacher of exegesis of and of Talmud. Annual conferences since 1957 on Talmudic texts at colloquia of the French Jewish intellectuals. Thesis for the Doctor of Letter, Letters degree in 1961. Philosophership at the University of Poitiers. Uh, Paris Nanterre and the Sorbonne. This disparate inventory is a biography. And now the sentence which interests me, uh, and this is why I brought this text, it is, Levinas says about his biography, it is dominated by the presentiment and the memory of the Nazi horror. Levinas says about himself that his life, actually, the major event of his life, which he anticipated a little bit. Since the, the 30s onwards, uh, anyone living in, you know, in Europe, seeing the Nazi regime uh, grown stronger and stronger, could uh, anticipate this. Seeing the Nazi regime uh, getting more and more power, of course, the war, where they reigned for, for a moment, and the post-war period, which is a kind of period where Levinas himself as a survivor and Levinas always thought about himself as a survivor and he has, he had this question that a lot of survivors of the Holocaust of the camps had which is why me and not somebody else
kind of very strong feeling that my life I'm living due to a very unpredictable circumstances or uh, and due to things that are completely not understandable. My biography, says Lignas, is dominated by the presentiment and the memory of the Nazi horror. And all of Lignas' philosophy, we will see it at moments, but all of Lignas' philosophy can be read as a post-Holocaust philosophy. It's not always obvious, it's not always explicit, but Levinas' philosophy is a philosophy which comes after the Holocaust. In a way, it is a philosophy who meditates about who asks itself two questions. First, how could it be that in Europe, in the most cultivated part of the world, in Europe which has a 2,000 year heritage of philosophy, how can it be that all this philosophy, all this culture, all this enlightenment at the end collapses into such an horror as the Nazi regime? Levinas will ask this question again and again and his philosophy in a way is an attempt to understand this. What does it mean that it is an attempt to understand it, uh, this? Levinas will try to find, and we will, this we will study together, we try to find, we try to analyze, to un- we try to understand philosophy, Western philosophy, and to detect in Western philosophy the roots of what of, of, of the catastrophe which occurred um, between 40 and 45. For Levinas, there must be something wrong in philosophy, to state it very boldly, there was, must be something wrong in philosophy if the civilization who grew out of philosophy could lead to something such as the concentration camps. It's a very, I'm giving you a very rough sketch of a very um, panoramic uh, uh, um, look into the history, a kind of history of, of human uh, kind. Ignaz links um, Germany, Europe, with philosophy. For, for, for Ignaz, philosophy, Western philosophy, is at the at the at, 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 at is the root of of of, of Euro- European culture, and if something such as the concentration camps could happen, they, they, there has to be something in philosophy who at least at least is not able to prevent it. Okay. Levinas is never. I'm, I'm being a little bit vulgar now. Okay, Levinas is never saying well. It's not about saying well. Um, philosophy is responsible for the camps. Of course, that's not what Levinas is saying. But Levinas is very, with his uh, extremely subtle sensibility, he says, if um, there is such a thing as the Western civilization, and if Western civilization is grounded in philosophy, and if again the Western civilization could lead to this catastrophe and Germany is the, the 
how do you say, the, the crown on the head of, of Europe, we, Germany is Europe, and Europe is Germany. Of course, for France, there is this big rivalry between France and Germany, who represent, and eventually England. I won't get you into like those domestic affairs of uh, our European province, but but Germany, of course, is the place where culture flourished the most since the at least since the modern era, since uh, the Romantic period and philosophy and everything. So when Zivinas says, my biography was dominated by the presentiment and the memory of the Nazi horror, he says something very, very meaningful. He says, for me, this is the major event of my life, and to think is to try to think this through. And I will give you, uh, from the start, if you want, the, the, the big Levinasian project, uh, in light of this statement, in a way, and again, I'm stating now a very general statements, and I hope we will um, be able to, to understand them, the, them more in detail when we get to the text, but in a way, Levinas' proje project is to say, perhaps something is missing in Western culture. Perhaps there is something that philosophy, that Western philosophy, don't understand, doesn't understand. This is a scandalous proposition for philosophers, you should understand. Philosophers think that they, are, think that they understand everything. That's, philosophy is about understanding everything. It's about a to, uh, an all-embracing understanding of the world. That's the, that, that's the mandate of philosophy. Philosoph philosophers would, wouldn't accept the claim that that something can escape human reason, that something can be beyond our human uh, abilities to understand. Well, Levinas' project is to say there is perhaps something is missing from Western philosophy. And perhaps what is missing in Jewish philosophy, uh, excuse me, in uh, Western philosophy, is something that Judaism can teach us. Maybe what is lacking in philosophy is exactly what Judaism teaches us. When Levinas, and that's, if you want, that's, the, that's again formulated in very, very uh, general terms, this is the big project of Levinas, to translate a wisdom that he finds in Judaism in a philosophical language, in order to provide philosophy from a fresh start, or in order to provide philosophy with a kind of uh, uh, new perspective that it lacked, that it lacks, and that eventually was not the cause, of, cause of, of the Holocaust, of course. The cause of the Holocaust was Hitler and his mad, his, his, his madness, his madness, his, his. But Divinas says, well, maybe there is something in Jewish philosophy, maybe Judaism can teach something, can teach something to the West, to general philosophy. Yes. So, how did he get away? How did he maintain 
this reputation and be a professor in universities in a still very anti-Semitic France with philosophers having a perspective that just, I can't see how he got away with this. If you know what I mean. Like, what, did he become, what, was he very criticized? Did he become ostracized? No, no, Livinas. Um, I, I gave you a very rough scheme of the, it's not one-on-one, -on -one, uh, okay, what, what, what I said, but um, I will answer your question first, uh, more punctually, and then I... I Maybe it's say, premature also. No, it's, it's not premature. First of all, you know, after the war in France, in Germany, there was a kind of general mea culpa in Europe going on. So, uh, even though in Poland and in some regions of the East there were pogroms two or three years after the end of the, of the war, but, but at least in Western Europe, in, uh, in, in Germany, in France, in Belgium, uh, after the war, after uh, they discovered what happened to the Jews, there was a kind of uh, bad consciousness of Europe who made the lives of Jews more easy, in a way. Because it was not very uh, popular to be anti-Semitic after the war. Because anti-Semitism was immediately linked to Nazism and nobody wanted to be uh, linked to Nazism. So, so in a way, Jews, um, after the war, and in a way it, it, it continues till now, or at least there is a kind of... Uh, okay, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to get into you know, those geopolitical uh, considerations, but, but for a long time it was not very popular to be anti-Semitic in, in Europe. I don't know if there is a renewal of... There, there are a lot of talkings about the renewal of anti-Semitism, but when they are speaking, just, just listen to the words, when they are speaking about a renewal of anti-Semitism in Europe, it means that it stops for a moment. If it wouldn't have stopped, then they wouldn't speak about a renewal of anti-Semitism. So, uh, so Levinas, after the war, uh, lived in, a, in Paris, in France, which was very, very, uh, which, which was not anti, which was, which has nothing, which has, um, was not anti-Semitic. Um, Sartre write a piece against anti-Semitism. I don't know if you know this very nice book of Sartre. It's called, I think they translated it in, uh, in English, uh, Jew and Anti-Semite. Anti-Semite and Jew. In, in the, the original um, title is Reflections on the Jewish Questions. On the Jewish Question. Reflections sur la question lui. Uh, and uh, now, now Levinas uh, and here you help me to continue with the biography of Levinas. Um, didn't didn't get in, in, in university until a very uh, advanced age, uh, in terms of an academic um, academic career. He got in university only um, in the mid 60s, after him, like when he was 60, uh, and before this he was. A Principal in a school, in a Jewish school, he was, he was a teacher. Levinas was a teacher. I, I love this image of the big Levinas being just uh, being a principal. It's even worse than being a teacher. Levinas uh, like shouting at little boys <coughs> coming late to school or uh, not wearing the kippah because it was a Jewish school. And and we have a lot of there are a lot of um, people today who remember Levinas as a as a principal. 
they didn't know that Levinas was who was he was the principal. Only very late he, he, uh, was he to be accepted into university, and not not for and not for uh, reasons having to do with him being Jewish, not at all. Uh, for very various reasons, it's very difficult to get into university, and uh, for Levinas, it was difficult. So. Um, so the question of Levinas and, and, the, and his time uh, is, is a very interesting question, but it was, for Levinas it was not a question of dealing with anti-Semitism immediately, it was a question of thinking through, in, in a larger, on a larger scale, um, the question of Western civilization. Uh, so, two brief, two more uh, brief uh, uh, um, points in his biography. Um, first of all, Levinas' two major books, uh, I, just give, I will just give the names. Um, in 1961, he published a book called Totality and Infinity, his first major philosophical work. In 1974, he published his, his second major philosophical book called uh, Otherwise and Being, or Beyond the Essence. Very difficult titles, don't, don't be uh, um, uh, impressed. 1974. Those are the big, two big masterpieces of, of Levinas. Uh, otherwise than being, or beyond the essence. Something like this. Autrement qu'être au-delà de But don't, don't be intimidated. Levinas is a very difficult author. Um, philosophically, it's very difficult, and uh, the names of his book were in a way already. Uh, reflects this. Levinas dies at uh, the age of 89 in 1995 um, in, uh, in Paris. This is, this is, if you want, Levinas' philosophical bi biography or um, more general bi biography. And I want to add now two elements which have to do with Levinas' Jewish biography, because we spoke a lot about his philosophical career, about Husserl, about phenomenology, about his texts. What about Levinas' philosophy, uh, uh, Jewish uh, career or Jewish uh, biography? Two landmarks uh, in order to understand Levinas' Jewish uh, orientation. The first one, which is probably the most important one, is in 1947, right after the war, Levinas meets a very strange person, very mysterious person, by the name of Shushani. You have it in the signature when he says, um, Monsieur, uh, Mr. Shushani, the prestigious teacher of exegesis and of Talmud. You see it in the, in the, in the text. Shushani was Levinas' master in Talmud. He met him in 1947. Shushani, Levinas describes him as a kind of, he had the appearance of a beggar. He said that he was going around with dirty clothes, with a dirty hat, and he, he had nothing on him. Nobody knew from where he came. Um, um, nobody knew where he lived, actually. He, he lived in Levinas' place in his um, basement for four years, um, and then one day he just disappeared. And Levinas says he, for those four years, he studied 
inter Jewish intellectuals, uh, community uh, leaders, etc., etc., thought that it would be important, again, as part of this project of rebuilding French Jewry, to um, gather the French intellectual together in a kind of uh, workshop, a colloquium, they called it, uh, and every year to study a team and this would be a way of, you know, of, of, of insufflating life in uh, Jewish, uh, in the Jew in, in, in Jewish life uh, in France. And that's how they found the colloquium of Jewish intellectual, um, uh, the, he calls it the colloquia of the French Jewish intellectuals. The colloquia des uh, intellectuels juifs de langue française. Sometimes somebody, do you know French? Somebody know French? Yeah, no French? Yeah. Okay. I would, so I'm sorry if I use sometimes my French, it's a kind of. Uh, so the, the colloquium of uh, French Jewish intellectuals. And again, they would pick a, a, a subject and uh, they, they, would be, they would invite the most important Jewish intellectuals in France to debate about the subject, etc., etc. And um, for almost 30 years, uh, Levinas was part of the committee that organized this colloquium, and for um, almost 30 years, um, Levinas gave at the final session of this colloquia, which uh, took generally two or three days, so it was, it was a big thing, it was two or three days of intensive studying together. At the end of those two or three days, Levinas was giving a Talmudic lecture. And that's how the Talmudic lecture actually came uh, to be. Um, André Meher, a friend of his, also an important uh, Jewish intellectual, gave a biblical lecture and Levinas gave a Talmudic lecture. And uh, the book we have, to, the books we have today, uh, the nine Talmudic lectures, and um, another three books in uh, in English. Um, actually, this book is, uh, is in French was published in, in, in two separate uh, books. So we have kind of five volumes of uh, Talmudic lectures, which are actually common, 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 uh, commentaries of Levinas of of the Talmud. And that's how actually the Talmudic lectures came to be. It's part of this colloquium of Jewish intellectuals, and Divinas every year gave, shows a, a part, uh, a passage from the Talmud, and commented upon him um, during the final session of this uh, of this colloquium. Before we actually enter into the text, and today I, I'm sorry, it's, uh, it's a lot about introductions, but those introductions we will see will help us uh, to, to, to situate Levinas and to understand better uh, uh, his um, project. So, um, but I want to start um, now with more um, concrete things about the Talmud and Levinas, and I want to ask a first question, again, which will help us to get into uh, the text itself. Um, I want to ask why Levinas and the Talmud, or more precisely, what attracts Levinas in the Talmud? 
or to state it in a more general terms what, is an, what can be the interest of a philosopher and Levinas is first of all a philosopher what can be the interest of a philosopher to open the pages of the Talmud why and be more precise why why pointing out why why designating why designating the Talmud as this text which has to be studied in order to understand the question I will I will give you uh, other possibilities why Levinas as a Jewish philosopher why don't he write a theology why don't, doesn't he write I don't know, a guide of the perplexed, like Maimonides. Again, this is Levinas' Jewish philosophy. It's, what, it's not that he has a Jewish philosophy, and then he also comments Talmudic uh, texts. This is Levinas' philo- Jewish philosophy. Though there, are, there, there is this book, Difficult Freedom, in which we have short articles, but the core of Levinas' Jewish philosophy is actually embedded in his Talmudic lectures. So again, the question is, why does Levinas' philosophy take the shape of Talmudic lectures? Why doesn't it take the shape, for instance, of a theological treatise? Hermann Cohen, a very important Jewish philosopher of the 20th century, wrote a big book called the, um, the, um, uh, the Religion of Reason Out of the Sources of Judaism. It's a theological work on Judaism. Uh, Leo Beck wrote The Essence of Judaism. We have a, 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 a whole, a very long list of Jewish philosophers who, who wrote Jewish philosophy per se, treaties. Again, Maimonides will be the, the first and the most imposing figure in this tradition. He writes about prophecy, he writes, writes about the creation of the world, he writes about the commandments, the reason. This is what we would expect of a Jewish philosopher, to explain the basic Jewish uh, theological, theological context. Levinas doesn't do it. Levinas writes Talmudic lectures. Or if to go to another side, to another horizon, we can ask, why not write a mystical treaty right? why, why not write the Zohar of course it would be difficult for Levinas to write the Zohar but, but why not engage into mystical uh, explanations of, of Judaism if we had to um, to draw uh, a geography of Uh, the, Jew- the different Jewish areas, the different Jewish uh, um, uh, forms, forms that uh, that thought takes, we could we could point at three regions: Mysti- the mystical tradition of Judaism, uh, what is called Kabbalah. There is a very long history of mystical. Uh, text of mystical writing. The more theological texts, again, I, I, I spoke about um, uh, Rambam, about the guide of the perplex. And there is, of course, the Talmud. 
there are three different uh, forms of texts. Levinas chooses the Talmud. We have to, so the first point is to understand that there is a choice here. It's not self-evident. It's not self-evident. Whence the question, why? And I will again state it very boldly, and then we'll get into it more uh, in depth. For Levinas, for Levinas, the Talmud expresses the authentic Jewish relation to the divine. For Levinas, in a way, it is impossible to relate to the divine, to have relation with God, for a Jew, he's speaking for a Jew, and his relation to Christianity or to other religions is a subject we won't enter into, but for a Jew, in that sense, it is impossible to enter into a relation with God without passing through the Talmud. The Talmud is a necessary step for the Jew in order to relate to God. Now, the Talmud, uh, we have to explain also, we said some, I'll uh, elaborate a little bit on, on, on the Talmud, but um, in order to, to make this proposition more, um, uh, let's say, audible to your ears, I will say the Talmud, um, both in its halachic sides and in its haggadic sides, and uh, we'll enter into this distinction in a moment, but uh, the, the, the Talmud, in the sense that it gives the Jew guides for his everyday life, the Talmud, Talmud is actually the, the basic literature from which we learn what to do at every moment of the day. Okay, that's the first. It's not a codex. It's not a set of rules, but it's a text which deals with rules. And this is what we call the halachic part of the Talmud, the part, the part of the Talmud which deals with the, the concrete things, what, what a Jew has, has to do. What is the time from uh, the, the, the starting time for a Jew to, 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 to recite the prayer of the evening? This is a concrete question. Can I, can I pray now the prayer of the evening or should I wait until until darkness, or until I see the stars, or until I hear the dogs, uh, how do you say, shouts, um, oh? Dogs, did you say? Yeah. Barking. Barking, yes. You, you can, you can uh, correct me with my English, I, I will appreciate it even. So those are very, very prosaic questions, very day-to-day -day questions. The Talmud deals with those questions. And of course, uh, more, let's say, stories. Talmud also is, a, is an, uh, a text, a very big text, 24 volumes, I don't know, uh, 24 volumes, I think, or 30 volumes, I, you, you remember how many, how many volumes there is? Very voluminous text, you all have this, this very big library in front of you here, eyes. Uh, uh, 
with a lot of, uh, of stories, anecdotes, one could say. It's not systematic, it's anecdotes of the rabbis who uh, wrote the Talmud. So Levinas says, again, it is impossible to have an authentic relation to the divine without passing through the Talmud. God... You had a question? You are Okay. Uh, God, um, there is there is a uh, there is a, a saying. Uh, you you all know that God hides Himself in the more minute details. You know this. God is in the details. God hides Himself in this. So I can we could paraphrase this this sentence and again fully finesse. God hides Himself in the most mundane actions of men. God is not to be found in uh, theoretical abstractions, in uh, mystical visions, in ecstatic experiences. No. For Levinas, again, it's a kind, it's a definition of Judaism. I'm speaking about Levinas, not about Judaism. Those who have knowledge of, you know, more broader uh, context, say it's a very Lithuanian uh, approach to Judaism. It's a very, it's not intellectual. It's a very, it's a Judaism of the Talmud. Levinas says Judaism is the Bible and the Talmud. That's that's Levinas' definition of Judaism. When one asks him, Levinas is the Bible and the Talmud. That's Judaism. What he means by this is that the real, again, I'm translating his saying, the relation to the divine for a Jew, the, the relation to God for a Jew, goes through those texts which finally are extremely prosaic. And this is the paradox. This is the paradox. This is the paradox and this is the extreme richness of the Talmud. You won't find, and there are hundreds, thousand pages of uh, in the Talmud, you would you won't find one page which deals immediately with God in the sense that it asks, for instance, um, what are the attributes of God? Okay, a question that was asked again and again in the history of theology and the history of philosophy. God is um, full of goodness. Is is all powerful? He's all known. Those are the God's existence. The, how can we prove the existence of God? Again, and like, like you have libraries with in many in Christian theology, let's say, who deal with those questions. How can we prove the existence of God? One would say that this is this is a very important theological question. You will find none of this in the Talmud. Uh, who is God? in terms of his essence. What is the essence of God? You will not find such a language in the Talmud. You will find stories about God, about uh, rabbis discussing and uh, not being able to get to an agreement and then God interrupting their discussion and saying uh, or uh, you know those uh, the, both those opinions are words of the living God. So you have a kind of 
God is an actor in the Talmud more than an object. The same way, in a sense, God is an actor in the Bible more than being an object. The Bible also, those are stories. But the Bible is a narrative. And I'm, I'm, speaking, I'm speaking of the Hebrew Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm not speaking about the, uh, the New Testament. I'm speaking about the Hebrew Bible, uh, the, the old, what they call the Old Testament. Um, those are stories about God. In a way, the Talmud prolongs the Bible in the sense that it continues this um, way of integrating God in the text, again, not as an object, but as a subject. Not as something that not as some, uh, something that we have to understand, but as something which participates in the current of of our discussions. So by saying that God hides himself in the more minute details, in the more day-to-day details uh, of and actions of men, we say basically two things. We say first of all that there is no direct discourse on God, that there is no uh, uh, if you want, there is no theology. There is no theology. Levinas is is very reluctant on this the usage of this term theology. Theology, because theology is you have uh, something for to write and then. Theology is if if we if we. Uh, Analyze the, the, the concept is the, the logos on the theon. Theon in Greek means God, and logos means the speech or the understanding or the knowledge of. Logos means knowledge. Biology is the knowledge of bios, of the life, of life. Theology is the knowledge of God. So Linus says no theology in Judaism. I, I think I illustrated it uh, <laughs> already, but I think... Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. Um, logos in Greek means yeah. knowledge. Knowledge of God. Theology is this science of God, which um, consists in trying to make sense of the concept of God, of God as an object, of God as an idea. Those are all ways to try to justify religion sometimes, etc. Alignas says again, no theology in Judaism. Talmud and no theology. I'm right. I'm, I'm comment. I, I, this text interests me. Talmudic text interests me because it's no. It's not a theology. I don't want to to write uh, Morgan of Krim. I don't want to write the guide of the perplexed of Maimonides. Levinas was very respectful of Maimonides. He was not critical of him because said, you can't argue with the Mont Blanc. You can't argue with uh, the Catskills. I don't know, what's the big, biggest mountain in, in, uh, in the States? 
What? We got a point. You got a point. Okay. You can't argue with the Himalaya, he was saying. So he was he has, he has this kind of reverence towards Maimonides, but but in a way he was he would it was implicit that that, that he that he did dislike the the guide of the perplex, which he never commented and uh, okay, it's com- everything. Okay, I don't know. He, he has some remarks about uh, Maimonides, which can uh, go to the opposite direction. At least he doesn't do this. He doesn't. Do this. And of course, of course, for Levinas, uh, the fact that God again hides in the most minute actions of human being means that we have no direct experience of God. That's the second thing it excludes. We don't have a mystical experience of God. Levinas says, I'm not, I'm not drinking coffee with God in the morning. I have no, I'm, I'm not participating with God in a kind of mystical communion. In a mystical union or a mystical communion. Is there a practical connection? Sorry? Is it practical or is there no connection? What do you mean? Is it not a mystical connection or is there no connection? No, the re- Levinas will try to explain what the re- he calls it a relation. There is a relation with God. But this relation is not... Uh, he, he, he will, Levinas will deploy a lot of um, uh, efforts in distinguishing between a mystical experience of God in a relation to God. Okay, mystical experience, uh, what he calls participation with God, for Levinas, is idolatry. Is idolatry. Um, think about ecstasy, okay, ecstatic experiences. Um, I don't know, I don't know which examples can uh, but if you, if you look at the, the, those those um, those ceremonies uh, in uh, those African tribes, okay, who, 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 who sings like mantras for hours, and then they have a kind of I think this is the most uh, obvious um, model um, of kind of mystical experience of of of, God, of godhead of God uh, um, of, of divinity. But also, also inside of uh, inside of Judaism, we have sometimes those kind of mystical experiences or texts, mystical texts, who speaks about you know the, the the unity with God and if to to name the the context in which it appears, of course the esoteric tradition of Israel, the Kabbalah. Kabbalah, we have practices of mantric practices, which uh, purpose is at the end of of an association with God, of being part of God, or or to influence God uh, through liturgy, through uh, certain practices, etc., etc. Again, this is very alien to Levinas. This is very... uh, Levinas doesn't want this kind of relation to God. In a way, we have to say also why he is reluctant 
why doesn't he want this relation with the mystical mystical experience or and actually it is for exactly the opposite reason of why he is reluctant upon theology. I will explain. Ignaz doesn't want theology because theology alienates God. Theology creates a kind of distance with God. I, as we have said, in theology, God is a concept. Is an object. I can try to understand the properties of a table, the qualities of a, of a chair, the, the, the essence of a book, and I can also try to understand the essence of, of God. But when I'm trying to understand the essence of God, I'm not in relation with God. I'm dealing with God as if it is an object. In my experience, I never heard God be uh, spoken as an object. <laughs> I know, like when I see say repeat, it seems a little odd to me. As a concept, if it's easier yeah. for you, then you can, as an idea, God is an idea. Maybe object is a little bit, uh, uh, can lead to... So, so forget object, as an idea. Philosophers speak about God as an idea, as a concept. Okay. And while speaking with God as a, as a concept, they, they, they adopt a kind of neutral the, uh, theoretical attitude. They say, well, we have to understand what the essence of God is. Okay? We have to prove that God exists. So they invent logical, they not invent, they create very powerful logical proofs. During the Middle Ages, it was a very common practice and it was very... It's very so those are extremely interesting texts. Okay? We can prove conceptually the existence of God. If you have five minutes, I can prove you conceptually the... the uh, but we don't have five minutes, so I won't <laughs> um, So it's creating a kind of too um, large distance between man and God. There is no relation. Okay. If you want, you know, just not to illustrate it, if I'm trying to, uh, if I'm studying all the properties of uh, of a dog, okay, I, I'm opening a book of I don't know, zoology, and I, I, I'm studying about dogs. They, how do you say, barbar? Yes, they, they bark and then they eat some food, and then they live in certain, certain conditions. That I, I will understand a lot about dogs. I will have a very good knowledge of dogs, but will I have a relation to a dog? No. In order to have a relation to a dog, I have to get a dog, and to, and to, and to, uh, to go to the park with, uh, with the dog, and to sit down feeding it. Okay, so, so knowledge, is, knowledge is always knowledge of something which is external to me with which I don't have a real relation. So that's the reason why, uh, for Levinas, theology is out of the question. He doesn't want to prove the existence of God. He thinks that's not what religion is about. He thinks that's not what Judaism is about. From the other side, second hand, he doesn't want a mystical experience with God. Why? Because of the opposite uh, argument, which is that in a mystical experience, the self the self, the subject, is 
we are losing the subject. This, the subject, myself, I am completely abandoning myself to this thing I worship, to this thing I want to be in communion with. In mystical experience, the mystical experience is about, about forgetting the self, about abandoning myself. We speak about uh, a mystical union, an union mystica with God. In, in certain uh, mystical texts, they speak about the experience of experiencing the unity of God. But experiencing the unity of God, or one can experience the unity of God, one can be one with God only if he is not himself anymore. And why is that a bad thing? Since that's a, that's a goal of, let's say, Buddhism, or, right? So right. Why does Levinas think that's a bad thing? Levinas thinks this is a bad thing because, again, I'm not sure if... Yes, he thinks it is a bad thing because um, Levinas is interested in maintaining both the subject and the object. Mm -hmm which is not an object, both the subject and the subject, God being the subject. You can have a relation only with the subject, not with an object. Or, in other terms, I will, I will answer your question because it's very important, what you asked. Or, in other, other uh, terms, God, Levinas is, interest, in, is interested in a relation. What, we have this, uh, what I have uh, theorized here are two options which both are not relations. I, I'm not in a relation with God when I'm terrorizing God, and I'm not in a relation with God when I'm one with Him. Because I, I in a way, I'm, I'm not there. <laughs> I, I, I'm already not there. That, that's what we experience when we have this kind of upheaval, of this kind of mystical experience. Uh, I don't know, sometimes when we dance, for instance, Hasidic dances are like this, those kind of dances were, and, and it's not a coincidence that there is a link between Hasidism and the mystical uh, tradition of uh, Jewish tradition, but there is a kind of uh, and, and it's, like, it, it's, it's very powerful, this feeling because, <laughs> because we long for this kind of pose from ourselves okay? we are so close to ourselves that when we can, if, if we can have a little, little break, you know, give me a break as if we are looking for having a break with ourselves. So it's a very, very uh, powerful experience and, uh, and extremely uh, pleasable. But it's not a relation. Levinas is interested in a relation. Now I will say something which uh, will be made clear the more we continue in our study, but Levinas is interested in a relation because the re because um, for Levinas, the, the phenomenon of a relation, of experiencing a relation, is the cornerstone of every possible ethics. Without relation, there is no ethics. And 
Thank you for your question because it really give, gives the opportunity we have to we have five minutes, so I want to close this session. But I, but but it's very important uh, because it gives us a little bit of an horizon of where we are going. Evinas, basic intuition is that um, a relation is something very rare, uh, although it seems as if very common, but a true relation is something very rare. And in order for a true relation to exist, to take place, we need two subjects. Not a subject and an object, not this I don't know if to call it the subject of knowledge, let's say, say no, that, not this kind of mystical union with an entity which is beyond us, but two distinct subjects which enter into a relation. This is the cornerstone for ethics. And for Levinas, and now I'm going back to, 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 our, to our initial statement, God hides himself in the more minute details of everyday life. Well, the Talmud is about those details and it is about, more specifically, it is about understanding how or studying how different subjects have to relate one to another. So there is a kind of an analogy, an analogy between our relation, our possible relation to God, and our possible relation to the other, to the other. And that's again, that's that's one of the fundamental insights of Levinas' philosophy, not his main thesis. There is a relation between the possibility of encountering the other and the possibility of encountering God. To encounter the other is in a way to encounter God, and to encounter God is in a way to encounter the, the, the other. It's not... Uh, this statement, which is again, which I hope is very... is, is both very intuitive and very... I would say this statements should be very intuitive, both very intuitive and very um, encrypted, cryptic, encrypted, cryptic, cryptic, like we all understand what it means and at the same time what does it really mean, like if it's, if it's not a kind of, you know, just a very nice statement about ethics and religion, which it is not, then what is it? What does it mean that the only encounter with God happens when we encounter the other? What does it mean that the true encounter with the other is an encounter with God? What does it mean? Not as a kind of very nice uh, um, sentence, but what does it mean? All of Levinas' philosophy, I would say, is about understanding this. That's only about stating this, but also about understanding this. And the Talmud, I'll end with this final note.
Polyvinas, the Talmud is a text in which the relation to the other is intimately intricated with the relation to God. And the relation to God is intimately intricated with the relation to the other. That's why, for Levinas, there is no other way than to formulate his philosophy through a reading of those uh, Talmudic texts. We didn't do a lot of reading today. I will, I will give you texts. I think that's good. I will give you texts. I will give you some homework. You, sh- you don't have to read it uh, for the next uh, session, those who decide to stay. Uh, but um, I think if you will read the text, I will give you give you exactly say which passages passages to read. I think some things we saw uh, today will get a written uh, form, and you will hear also a little bit of Levinas' way of um, of saying it. So um, the first text. What is this? Um, Okay, please take one and um, pass it through. Um, okay, I will give you for the moment two texts. I think it's, it will be not about the reading, and I really encourage you to, to read it. Um, because again, to give some um, Levinasian taste to what uh, to, to what I said. So the first text I give you is a text from um, uh, a passage from a text called "The Religion of for Adults." It's from Difficult Freedom, and I um, encourage you to read the from um, the beginning of this passage enthusiasm or religious majority until uh, on the top of the second of page 15 um, it is merely atheism you see this you are, you are with me okay again the the first page that you got difficult freedom okay begins with uh, enthusiasm or religious majority so if you read this it's two paragraphs actually the three three paragraphs until uh, the top of page 15 the past the, um, <coughs> the those three lines it ends with atheism okay this is the first uh, text and the second one um, is what we have page 32 we have page 4 and 5 from the introduction to okay 4 and 5 so yes um, okay so here I would I would just uh, ask you to read um, from the first paragraph that begins there. From uh, the Talmud exists in two parallel versions um, until page five uh, at the middle of the text, um, first letter of the text. You you will see it's uh, for those who don't have who don't have a uh, knowledge of, 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 of Talmud, it's a very nice introduction. introduction. It's very technical, it explains what the text, uh, Talmud is made of, but you will see that there are also some things that we have discussed here that are embedded in this, in this text. And next week, um, 
we'll uh, begin the study of um, temptation of temptations. Um, so you're all invited to come back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.